Okay. Not only are you clapping, you're hooping and hollering now. A new series of sermons on the parables, Jeff and I, over the next few weeks. Not randomly chosen, chosen for you, but all good stories that Jesus tells us. Sound very different from the last series, which was um, with great weight. But hear the weight, the burden of reading a parable, of hearing a parable of Jesus, is to always ask the question, why did you tell this story to me? Not, why did Jeff and Jerry choose these? But why did God, at this moment, choose this parable to tell to me? They speak to us. Let us pray. Great and good God, Give us pure hearts that we may see you, humble hearts that we may hear you, hearts of love that we may serve you, hearts of faith that we may live in you, reverent hearts that we may worship you, here and in the world out there, through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. This parable from Matthew chapter 20, the first 16 verses. For the kingdom of God is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So, the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Some comments about biblical art, then about theological acumen, and then about pastoral advice. You may be wondering why a pastor is so helpful, I seldom in, by giving you the outline of the sermon at the beginning. This is not to help you. I'm not that kind. You know that. This is to help me so I remember the outline of the sermon at the beginning. Biblical art. 
Jesus in parables teaches us the eternal ways of God by the everyday world of our lives. And he tells us this in the everyday work of our lives, and it's also about the everyday work of our lives. How does the eternal God work his eternal ways today in my work, in your work? This parable, like so many others, is in the world of the workplace. In the ancient world, food production needed to be near food consumption. Transportation was such that those who raised the crops needed to be able to sell them locally, we would say, and they were to be consumed locally. By the time at least most fresh crops were transported a distance, they wouldn't be worth anything. No way to refrigerate, to keep. So too with workers. Workers needed to live near places of work. There were no long commutes. But there would be for day laborers gathering places on the edge of town, maybe on the edge of town that goes out to the widest and most fertile fields where a landowner, a vineyard owner, a farmer who needs help with particular times of the season in planting, perhaps in cultivating, certainly at harvesting, could go and get a, a good number of laborers who were there waiting to be hired. If they weren't hired that day, to be very straightforward about this, they didn't get paid that day, and they would have nothing to put on the plate for their families that night. They showed up early and were anxious that someone would come. Grape harvesting in particular is time sensitive. You can't do it too soon, you shouldn't do it too late, and it's a very short time to do all of the work. In this parable, the landowner clearly is God, who is active, present, calling people to walk and work alongside him, engaged in the day's work, engaged in the calling of the person, engaged in the work of the day, engaged in the rewarding at the end of the day. And all day, six in the morning, this is how it works in the Middle East and places near the equator. Most of the year, sun comes up about six, goes down about six, a work day is, well, sun up to sun down. It's, it's a long work day. And if it's outdoor work, if it's farm laboring work, it's hard work. But the landowner is there at work, not distant. At six, at nine, at 12, at three, at five, and at six at the time of reward. I witnessed this when I was young and my father was an electrician. And for a while, he was in business for himself. For most of his life, he did weekend work on his own as a contractor and small business owner. And we would go to Eight Mile and Livernois on the edge of Detroit. And there, day laborers would be gathered somewhat before dawn. All of them poor, most of them black. My dad would hire one, maybe two, very seldom more than that, but sometimes. Hop in the back of the pickup and we go to the place where my dad was working. It'd be hard work, manual work, digging a ditch to lay some piping, um, working on the foundation so that electricity could be brought to the home. Didn't take much skill, but it took a lot of effort and hard work all day long. And my dad was there to do it. Alongside, these were that day's co-workers. 
The person with the least skill and the least work ethic on the crew, clearly, was me. I think that bothered my dad from time to time, though he was awfully kind. But I valued the time with my dad and had some sense that he valued it with me. And that his hope was that someday I would learn a skilled trade. That hope was never fulfilled. His hope was that someday I would learn the joy of manual labor all day long. That hope was never fulfilled. His hope was that I would learn to work. Well, I'd like to think that some of that hope was fulfilled. At the end of the day, the contract would always be, it wasn't an hourly wage, it was a day's wage, that you would take the person back to Eight Mile in Livernois and drop them off, and however it is they got from their house to that space, they would have to reverse it and get home. My father would offer this. Pay you in cash. I'll take you to a grocery store. If you buy groceries, spend your pay on groceries this day, I'll give you more than what we bargained for. And then I drive you to your house. Hmm? Well, most of them, most of the time, that's a good deal. That's better than a good deal. Not all of them, all of the time. And yes, if you go grocery shopping with my dad, you don't buy alcohol. That's in the Bible as far as my dad's concerned. And you don't bring alcohol home. There was something that struck me then, as now, as more than fair. And it was well received. Jesus knows this stuff and teaches us the stuff of God from the stuff of our experience. Every parable, I want you to know, has three audiences. First, there are those who first heard Jesus teach this. The last location Matthew gives us is that he's in Judea beyond the Jordan. So he's what in present day we would call the nation of Jordan. Doesn't tell if he's outdoor or indoor, just precisely who's gathered. It's one of those broadcasted parables. There was trouble. Jews and Gentiles gathering to hear Jesus. Somebody had been there all day long. The Jews. And now these, I don't know, Roman occupiers, Greek business people, people who really frankly have no business being here, the, those who have come lately, they get to connect with Jesus no less than we do? Where were you when we were slaves in Egypt? Huh? Where were you when we were exiled in Babylon? Where were you when the Philistines came and Goliath was thrown at us? Where were you during the wars, the famines, the pestilence, the plagues? And you just show up today? Just, I mean, just now, today? And you get all of Jesus too? Yes. Equally. It's called grace. It is every time when God is more than fair. 
The second audience of a parable is those to whom the parable was recorded, written, and sent to. Matthew alone tells us this parable. We know that Matthew is writing to a Jewish Christian audience, but he's also writing to now first and second generation followers of Jesus. Those who, like Matthew, had been with Jesus. He was one of the twelve. He had saw, seen the passion, the torture, the death. He had waited, not thinking there would be a resurrection. He had seen the oppression. He had seen the torment. He had witnessed it himself. And now there were those who were just hearing the gospel for the first time. They didn't pay a three-year internship with Jesus and walk lonely roads and eat whatever there was to eat. They just show up and they get the whole thing. Matthew writes down this parable, sends it to this series of churches for this purpose. Yes, them too. He came for the whole world, not just Jews and Gentiles, and not just this generation, but every generation who will not have known him like we did, but who will know him? When Jesus is with Thomas in the upper room after the resurrection, and he alone of the disciples didn't get the first introduction of Jesus and come second. Yet it is because he sees Jesus that he believes, and Jesus says, blessed are those, Thomas, who not like you will not see me, yet will believe. The blessing of God extends throughout all the generations to those who believe. In the third audience are those of us who hear it today just like those who stood in Jesus' presence and those who got the first manuscript from Matthew, God's Spirit now speaks to us. Yes, among us there are lifelong Christians. There are recent converts. There are sometimes deathbed converts. I've known that. Is there a temptation among us to say, really, I've been working all day. As if work in the Lord's vineyard is a burden, not a blessing. I've had to be disciplined about this. Sometimes the walk's uphill. Often it's narrow. It can be thorny. I walked it. Okay, not perfect, but I walked it. Some sacrifices were made along the way just to discover at the destination's end, some people just show up. In order for me to have that remarkably poor attitude, I have to forget a lovely grace at the beginning of the day. The first grace of this story is not the pay at its end, but the call to be part of God's vineyard at the beginning. What the all-day workers did not realize is they had received the great grace. 
assurance from the beginning that all would be well and to be in the landowner's company. This parable has unlimited audiences. As often as it's told, it has a new one. We hear it at the end. The all-day workers are told, friends, take your pay and go. It's the dismissal of disappointment. It's almost, almost like how Jesus addresses Judas. And to the last-minute workers, we didn't know it was for us too, they said. That's why we're still here, waiting to be hired. We're to identify with the late arrivals as well. Friends, we were not in that slavery in Egypt. We weren't in exile in Babylon. We can complain all we want about what direction we think the world is going and this or that or the other thing. This is not that. We didn't bear that burden. And we're going to grumble? Jesus says, come, follow me. And in it is work. I'll make you fishers of men. But with me, that's the grace. The grace that calls us. Whether it's at 6, 9, 12, 3, or 5, that is the same grace that calls us to labor with Christ. Face to face and shoulder to shoulder. Theological acumen. Well, it's about grace. Grace is more than justice. It's never less. You have made them equal to us who have borne the, the heat of the day and the work of the long hours. Haven't I been fair to you? Are you envious because I'm generous? There's fairness here. There's a justice here. There's, there's a negotiated settlement, and landowner is perfectly faithful to it. It's generous. They knew. They knew at the beginning of the day that they would have enough to bring home food for the table that night. The other workers did not have that assurance. And the five o'clock workers don't know until they're paid that they're going to have anything, much. More grace had come to them who started early. And it wasn't because of their merit, it was because they were called early. The security, while others are still anxious, in the place where the day laborers wait, who we know want to work because of how quick they agree to it, without agreements being needed. Their occupation, the meaning that comes with work, the sense of place in our world that work can give us all the length of our years, and the relationship with the landowner, these are graces offered. They are not less. Everyone that day received grace. Reward does not war against grace. Grace gives recognition that work is needed, that it's good, that it's possible, that it's for me too. I don't need to be an observer of the work of God in the world. I can be a participant. I've been called to that. He's calling me now. If it wasn't early in your life, it's no later than today, friend. He calls you now. And God teaches a work ethic, that there's joy in the labor, that work works. God's grace in us. God teaches us through the course of our work. That's a reward. 
And yes, when we see how God is with others, there can be a joy in the grace that we see God shows everyone. If you want another story on this, Luke will make the same point with the story of the prodigal son, who didn't work all day, the elder brother did, who didn't stay faithful to his father, the elder brother did, who didn't buckle down, show the discipline, make the sacrifices, make the farm work like his older brother did, and who went and squandered it all, just was prodigal, and then comes home, and the feast is for him as well. Will you allow me this, that the word elder in the Greek, are we friends, can I say this out loud, is presbuteros. We get our word Presbyterian from it. The elder brothers, the Presbyterian in the story. Poised to grumble, because he had worked all day long. Forgetting the grace of having his father's company every day. Do not envy God's generosity. Do not begrudge God's goodness. Do not badmouth God's good gifts. Gratitude, not grumbling. Rejoice when a grace of God surprises. Well, Matthew tells this story on himself. He tells it on himself. He's one of the Jews standing in Jesus' midst when Jesus is reaching out to Gentiles. He tells it on himself when he records it and sends it out. He's first generation. His generation cannot grumble because another one picks it up late. I need to tell a story on myself. Lois and I were blessed for four years with Nadia Malumba. Her father was the head of the Presbyterian Church in the Congo. There's more Presbyterians in the Congo than there are in the United States. And um, they are wonderful. We had spent some time one summer, um, Malumba kind of leading me around and telling me how Presbyterian churches fare in the Congo and making partnerships with churches here. And then he sent us his daughter. I don't actually remember asking, but we remember her coming. And uh, for her high school years. And what a blessing. So, of course, uh, she's going to go to high school here. She'll probably go to college here. Maybe be a nurse. Maybe be a teacher. Those were the two professions open to women in the Congo at the time. And we're going to have to see about college. So Lois is better at this than me because Lois has practiced it better than me. But you have to study hard to get a good grade. You have to show the discipline to get the reward. You have to make the sacrifices before you can get what's at the end. And kind of backing her up on this and making sure Nadia actually enjoys America too. And she gets through high school and now it's time to apply to college. You've got to apply to several. We'll pay the fees. You need to write some essays. You need to do this. She won't write the essays. She won't fill out the applications. She procrastinates. She procrastinates. She procrastinates. Like, okay, kid, you don't know how this works. You've got to have to trust us on this one. You've got to do the work. Or, you know, it's not like you get a phone call someday and somebody tells you, hey, you're welcome to come to our college and it's all paid for you. That, that doesn't happen. So you need, to, you need to do this work. You need to do this work. So it's the summer between her high school and college. Her father shows up. I talk to her dad. We are friends. We can talk honestly. I don't want to express frustration about his daughter, but saying, you know, this is how this works in America. It doesn't work this way in the Congo, but it works this way in America. And, you know, we want the best for her. And, you know, maybe if you could... I don't know, address this with her and all this. And a day goes by, he doesn't say anything. Second day, a third day, pretty much a week. Um, we're sitting down at the table and um, Malumba says, I have some news about 
Nadia's, Nadia's college? And I go, yeah. Like, she's going to fill out the application. I called my friend. I knew who the friend was. He's the chairman of the board of one of the 50 Presbyterian colleges in the country. And Nadia does not need to fill out an application. She's been accepted and has a full year, four, full four-year ride. I would like to tell you how thrilled I was. No, that's not how the world works. This is not right. Everybody has to fill out an application. Everybody has to write the essays. Everybody has to work hard. Everybody has to sit it out. Everybody has to wait to see if there's... This is just... This is... This is... It was beautiful. It took me a while to get to that. I tell the story on myself. And what is more? How did Jerry get to college? I'm uh, next month going to be visiting my mom for a week back in Detroit, and I'm going to my 50th high school reunion, though it's our 51st year. It was canceled from last year. Next to my picture in the high school yearbook where it says ambition, it says USMC. The big boys in the neighborhood were coming back from Vietnam, and it's beyond me to think about it at this point, telling me how great the experience was. So, want to be like the big boys in the neighborhood? I'll be a Marine. Horrified my mother. Um, my dad thought he's not much of a worker. <laughs> Maybe the military will teach, teach the kid a thing or two. I was too young to join when I graduated from high school and had to wait out. Uh, didn't do much that summer. Wasn't going to do much that fall. That was it. I'm still living at home. And my mom takes me to the college that she had gone to, Detroit Bible College. It's on the west side of Detroit where we lived. Classes had started on Monday. We showed up Wednesday morning. She talked to the dean whom she knew. I filled out an application at the point. Actually, I think it was at gunpoint. But I filled out the application at that moment and was sitting in a classroom that afternoon. And then I spent the next, oh, 20-some years of my life still going to college. That's a grace. And I would begrudge it to Daya. Rejoice about a grace of God when it surprises. Now for some pastoral advice if you haven't already heard it. The landowner is the most common simile for God in the, Jesus, in the teachings of Jesus. God owns everything and we are stewards of everything. We Presbyterians do not say, oh, we're merely stewards. We say we're stewards. We work for the Almighty, all of his creation. We work for God and receive God's rewards. And grace leads. So here's my advice. Hesitate before you negotiate with God. You may get only what you ask for. They agreed, says the beginning of the parable. It's a good and it's a fair deal. I understand. If I'm going to work all day, I want to make sure I'm going to get an all-day's wage, yeah? But equality is not the issue. God's justice and mercy always are the issue. And humility is always required, including the humility to be taught by God, not second-guess Him, and the humility before an unlimited God 
that I cannot imagine and therefore cannot ask for all of what you may be ready to give. I just don't know enough. God is not limited to our, by, in his giving by our sense of fairness. God's mercy, God's generosity is deeper and wider than our imagination. Do not let the heavenly resources be restricted to our earthly requests. Instead, here's the advice. Offer this prayer. Ask of me what you want. Bless me with what you want. How might I learn to be more open to your recruitment, O Lord? Teach me to notice more of your grace every day. Teach me to express more gratitude each day for the day-long gifts. And perhaps this prayer at the end of the day. Where did I miss seeing your grace today? Give me this one further grace. Show me your grace. The day spent in the vineyard of God is a grace. The long day labor of grace with its work and with its reward. I am reminded this day of the grace of being with my dad, watching him in his world. I thank God this day for the grace of being with my dad and the grace of knowing my dad valued being with me even if it was working all day long. Let us pray. Let us hear clearly today, if we have not before, your grace that says, come follow me. If we've heard that before, remind us of the grace that began early and now continues each day. Give us the humility that is required to rejoice when another succeeds and your grace is given and the humility that expresses gratitude for each grace, each day, all the long day. Amen.